Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this week's podcast. This week, we're interviewing one of the first people I met in New York City, Nate Edelman. We worked together, what did we say it was? Almost nine years ago now. Um, it was with the Mentor Project at Cherry Lane Theater. Nate is a playwright, and he had written Bella Belfast. And I came in as stage manager for the piece, and it was a really awesome experience, and I really enjoyed working with him. And so we've kept in touch all these years. and. Uh, Actually, he then took it to L.A. a few years after that. So I flew out to visit Stacey and drag Stacey to come see Bella Belfast as well in L.A. So anyways, yep. Nate is a right? Um, he studied at NYU. He was also at Santa Cruz. And I know you spent quite a bit of time in Dublin. Did you go to school in Dublin or you just? Yeah, I went to um, studied abroad for a year at Trinity College. I kind of wrote my own major at Santa Cruz, which we're allowed to do back then. I don't think yeah, you I can. California. Yeah, it was it was great, and I it appealed to me to to do that so I could write in my major to go to Ireland, which I really um, really loved, and I spent probably about four years total in Ireland, but studied there for studied there for a year, and and I have I've been back I haven't been back for about two and a half years, so it's time. It's time. I miss it. So you, I know you lived in New York for a while, and at. Cherry Lane Theater, and then at some point you moved back to LA, and you've been in LA for quite a while. So, can you tell us kind of how it all started? How did you always know you wanted to be a playwright, or is that something that kind of developed during your school years? Um, it it developed in my youth, I guess. I, I wrote my first play at ten, but it was more just to write something that people can do. It made sense to me to write something that actors. Played. I was obsessed with film, but I couldn't make a movie because I had no money. And <laughs> like, I didn't even have like, you know, a little camcorder or anything. No VCR to edit on. Like film, I couldn't do at 10 and didn't have like a neighborhood to play with the camera. Like you hear a lot of like famous filmmakers had like Spielberg and I just didn't. But I could write something and put people, a script in people's hands and they create move like you know something on stage so i did, wrote my first play at 10 which was like a parody of hercules and <laughs> kind of been doing it ever since and really i think film was my first love because it was available um because you know i didn't really i wasn't taken to the theater a lot as a kid even though i was sort of involved with local weird hollywood theaters i grew up in la so there's actors and writers everywhere um of very quality but um yeah, I kind of enjoyed playwriting and in college pursued it. And I really wanted to direct film and said I wanted, I needed a good script to direct. And I kind of found that playwriting was the elements of movies I liked the most, like character and dialogue, um, kind of, and theme pull plays together. And I kind of fell in love with theater by practice i guess and now i prefer it to any other medium i think you have done some have you done some movies and tv shows or 
I've done writing for films that have never been. I mean, I have plenty of screenplays that are pretty good, actually. But I'm very protective <laughs> of them. Because, like, I'm, I'm, you know, I wrote them like I write a play, which is, it's my story. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm like kind of a producer, a Hollywood producer's nightmare. Because I'm like, I'm going to direct it. Or no you want to be involved in it. I want to be highly involved. Or you could pay me a lot to not do it, I guess. But that's never happened. Um, <laughs> I mean, and I have been paid to, to do some screen work, um, which was kind of lonely because it isn't like theater where you create a play like when I was 10 and you get people together and you do it. Um, you write alone with executives giving you notes. And that was very lonely and very stressful. I felt like I was writing not for me and for so, for someone else because I, I was. So constantly felt like a job interview rather than um creating something that I wanted to see and I wasn't very good at that because I couldn't separate myself from the job of like oh no I'm getting paid for this task that it, it that isn't for me that I don't own and it was really not it was interesting and I guess I learned a lot but I didn't enjoy it at all (laughs) i've had conversations with mostly a a friend of mine who works in sound who was upset with another friend because this other friend takes a lot of corporate jobs and the first friend was like how could you work corporate jobs because it's just it's not artistic and it's not if it's something you don't believe in you know and so it was interesting this sounds kind of similar you know like one friend is okay taking the money and doing these jobs that he doesn't feel connected to or doesn't do anything for him whereas the other friend would rather not make any money but like artistically be fulfilled yeah and i think i'm just not very good at it i i was always i enjoy creating theater and enjoy kind of not that control i don't want to sound kind of arrogant or hard to work with but the joy of it is to create something and have an audience and really make something and i didn't feel like i was making anything except money um and didn't go into it for, I mean, I don't, I hope that no one goes into playwriting for money because they'll be really disappointed. For love. And I just wasn't, I kind of wish I had more, I had the ability to separate it a little more like, Oh, I, this is for money. This is for me. I'm just not very good at doing stuff for money because it's a little too weird. And I'm not, and I just wasn't, gifted at it and still am not, you know, you spend so much time. Like I moved to LA um, after grad school because I got a big kind of film manager and an agent and felt like, Oh, I'm going to be, maybe my dreams can come true. Maybe I can be the Coen brothers or Paul Thomas Anderson and have make movies for me that people will like that are mine and personal, but fun and, and engaging. And it didn't have the recession hit and there was no mm. development funds. And I spent basically two, three years spending every day going to meetings and drinking a lot of water bottles and, you know, production <laughs> offices and pitching projects for places that didn't have money to make anything. And it felt kind of barren and it was not fun. And mentor project came up right after that I think in 2010. And it kind of saved my life because it brought me back to theater with a play I really worked quite hard on and, and loved and still love actually. And hopefully it'll be done again. Um, 
but so that brought me here. I never thought I'd move back to LA. I thought I'd stay in New York um, and just couldn't afford to move back. And now I kind of am, have a life in LA, which is home and was home. And it's, I've found a good balance in my, my thirties to make it kind of work with theater here and, and other opportunities. Like kind of, if you put blinders on, I find it's a very interesting cultural place to be. How is it? Well, and it might not be the same for every show that you write, but when you write a piece, do you ever write for a specific performer when you write a character or a specific theater or do you just write and then try to find the right venue and the right people to to make your dream come come to life um more definitely the the latter just because i think it's story and character and conflict first and then i find the actors in la i like to um we've i've been here long enough with the theater company and various you know see a lot of theater and i know a lot of people and know a lot of the good actors that i kind of have cultivated a small repertory i don't necessarily write for them but i use them a lot because they're mm -hmm. friends and it's work it's begun to work very well and the la desert rat certainly was that um but i didn't i haven't written for a company i've never had a commission um, for a company. So I kind of, I feel like every playwright's lucky to get produced whenever they're produced. And it takes, it could take a long time. It has for me almost every time. Um, and I've found a home more or less at the Los Angeles Theater Center in downtown, which is which a big, that's a rat. Yeah. And it was my second show there. So I guess I, mean, I, don't, I don't write for the, I write and the company produces me. Sometimes, um, and I, like, I, I'm lucky. <laughs> yeah, and I and I work there now as a day job too. So my writing life, I had a play produced there, directed a show there, and then um, about three years ago started working in development there, and now teach playwriting and do a lot of activities there. It's a really great complex that could do a lot of those um, things, and it's always in need of money. I mean, I, I wish it we could raise $20 million a year to function as like a big off Broadway theater with stuff going off like, like the public, but LA's different culturally. And um, do you still work in development or did you change out of that to mostly do teaching playwright? Um, I do both. I do both. And I production manage sometimes. So I wear a <laughs> nice. lot of hats. There. Um, but I like, I mean, develop grant writings. The, I, I don't think anybody wants to write grants. Yeah, I've never heard anybody <laughs> say that. that. Yeah. I'm fairly because I'm a decent writer. I'm, you know, I'd much <laughs> rather be playwriting, but I've been kind of delegated to um, grant writing. The theater needs it. I'm good at it, and you know, do that a lot. So I feel like education and production management weirdly are kind of like the fun parts. <laughs> um. But, you know, it, it's a it's a good crew there of people who are dedicated and care. A lot of the um, staff are artists as well. And that's kind of a nice environment to be around. Um, and probably kind of rare. I don't know other companies that are staffed with playwrights and directors and stage managers. 
I wish more were because then they might understand more of like what it takes to put on a show and, you know. And that's why I think I'm a decent production manager there because I kind of understand I've worked in every element. So I'm very, um, you know, I don't treat it as I'm the boss or, you know, I try to get everybody what they need mm-hmm. in a friendly, accommodating way. And then, you know, when you can't do it, I think people are more creative. I'm not saying angry at you, I hope. Um, so I ha- I'm busy doing that right now, too. Um, but, you know, playwriting's my, um, I guess, vocation. It's what I want to do. And directing, too. But mostly, you know, playwriting's what I've been, I, I think I get the most joy from. Is is directing and production for you? And have you found that that alters the way you write at all? Product Production management's fairly new. I did my first, I produced, we started a theater company. Um, I started a company with UCLA graduates where um, Angie, my girlfriend, studied and got her MFA, which is another reason I stayed in LA. Um, and... Once she graduated, a lot of the actors from her class and myself and Angie did a play and it, and it was that was kind of a fun few years. I guess that was in 2012 and we I kind of considered Desert Rats in some ways the end of that company because we did put some money f- that we had from that into the production. Even though it was a Latino theater company and LATC show, it was vastly assisted by the kind of death of our other theater company. Um, I don't, I, because I've always kind of directed, even, you know, in high school and college and probably junior high school, I directed, and I always, you know, I always said I'd want to write a good play. So I have something good to direct, um, which is kind of arrogant, I guess, but the, you know, so, as then, a, so then when you write, you think of it yeah. as being produced. Cause I, and this was years ago, but in college I did a new piece with a playwright that became pretty obvious that she, when she wrote, she wasn't thinking about somebody actually producing it. And she came to one of our shows and we had a discussion with her, you know, and and some of the stuff that she wrote was just like very specific props and very specific, like scenery changes and stuff. And we're like, how did you envision this happening? And she was like, oh, I never actually thought about it being produced. Yeah, that's that's not, yeah, I don't write at all. I also act as well or acted. I haven't acted in a long time. or in a couple years, I'll do I'll do readings and things, but I like to know what everyone does, and I think I write for actors and directors as well. Um, you know, of I, I don't, I kind of understand what you're saying. I, I know people who kind of will write weird things, like the stage explodes, and right, and you're like, how the hell are we supposed to make this happen? Yeah, yeah. for some of the and props I've, they come up with, I'm like, like yeah, I, I find that kind of and I, I don't know I'd rather watch people on stage with conflicts and good acting and hopefully some life and humor that's a reflection of something like the world we live in um because that's the kind of theater I think I like although I'm more broad-minded than that and see an awful lot and kind of appreciate everything but I do write I want to write plays that people want to direct and perform in and design and work on. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and I, do, I guess I do think about all those things. Um, 
but really just like kind of story and dialogue and it, you know, through rewriting, I think of all these elements. And I think when I'm in a rehearsal room, especially now, like Bell, when, when Cindy and I worked on that, we had a really good director, um, Eric Tucker, who's now become huge in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that was my first professional production. And I learned a lot about what I wanted, I think, through him and and that group of people. That was a really kind of phenomenal group we had for that. Mm-hmm. One of the best. Um, Deserats was kind of like that. It was sort of the, the one that just closed. And in between, it's been a lot of much more difficult productions, I think. Um, so I learned a lot. And now I feel in my writing, I know exactly what I want on stage. Um, where I've produced shows where the playwrights are like, I don't, I don't really know. Like they don't answer the questions because I don't think they've. They don't know the answer. Yeah. yeah. They don't know the answer, which means you should rewrite it. And I do a lot of um, the playwriting <laughs> teacher uh, teaching. And, and I do think questions are good to answer the audience or maybe yourself, but I, I, I don't know. I know what I want. I mean, it's a simple thing. Like should this actress, does it make sense that she's, Grabs a glass of wine or something. I mean, that's a bad direction, but, um, you know, and they just don't know. It's weird. And I do like to develop young writers and, and work quite a bit with high school kids and now um, students in their 20s. And I like to develop plays. And we did that with a the theater company. That tells you how Desert Rad started. I had written it and kind of abandoned it. Not that I didn't think it was good. It was kind of weird. It was weirdly personal and hard for me. I didn't really want to share it. And which is kind of weird for a public art form like like theater. So th- put it away for a couple of years. And I wanted to start this development program kind of based loosely on mentor projects without the production, but the way in which I found that helped me hear and rewrite my play over like a week. So I kind of did a nine months in a week and used Desert Rats as a kind of sample to show the company, this is how you develop and workshop a play in a very short period of time. And it was very hard on my own script. And in doing that, I made it a lot better and a lot more. It was a play I didn't think I liked. And by the end of it, I'm like, oh, I, through this process, wrote, didn't, I wrote a play I didn't know I had. Um, even though it's all kind of there, the ideas were there and, and use that model to kind of help develop maybe another five or six plays, um, and would like to kind of bring that idea of development back for other writers. Cause I think it's very helpful. How long, I just want to try to, I know this is probably different for everything. That was like three sentences I started at the same time, but to give an idea to people who have no idea what it means to, to playwright, do you usually like write up or in your ideal world, write something first and then do a few readings, try to get other people to, to say the words out loud and then do rewrites. I know in mentor project, I think it was like a week or two, but we did do a number of small rewrites. There wasn't a lot of big rewrites. Right. It was just like having the actor say the words and interact and like asking them questions and having a director in the room and designers, you know, and then just kind of finesse it and flush it out. And then in the end, have a full on production. Yeah. Something that's 
normal or something that you wish was more normal? Um, or do you just kind of write I, something and then? I think, well, I'd like to really know the place pretty good. Mental Project for me, um, it's longer for the writer. Before, before you were in, Cindy, we had a, it was chosen, I had to read 10 minutes to the public of the play as the playwright, which went really well. It was interesting because I got to play the characters yeah. for the first time. Yeah. Um, then, it's just you reading all the characters for 10 minutes. And yeah. And it was, you know, that play is just two characters at a time. So it was actually, I just did the opening scene, which I think was three characters, but it was easy. Um, and I really practiced with like a Northern Irish accent and all that shit. Um, <laughs> but it went really well. And then we did a um, private reading in the office upstairs with myself and Charles Fuller, the actors and Angelina who, um, Charles Fuller is my mentor and Angelina is the artistic director. So I got to hear the whole play with professional actors the first time. Then we did additions and then we did a public reading. Um, so I got to do it myself, hear it, consult with the mentor who was much cooler than me. He's like, don't, you know, it's good, man. You don't have to break anything. I'm like, please don't. And I did. I mean, I did do rewrites. Um, I'm still doing rewrites on it, you know, eight years later. I have I mean, like a- The, the version we saw in LA was different yeah. than the version that you and I had worked on. Yeah. And it went back to New York after LA as well. And it's Shane's version. After that production, just last year, I just reread it and wrote. I mean, people might not notice, but to me, it's more, it's authenticating it. Mm -hmm. A little more. It's not like a massive rewrite, but, um, you know, I do tend to tweak and rewrite scripts, you know, whenever, because they're always kind of alive, <laughs> I guess. Um, and it's something to spend time on because I guess I, it's revisiting that world. And I like doing that. Um, for, uh, yeah, I, I think a rehearsal room for me needs to be applicable to it has to be a, a creative environment where everyone tries things and I have the ability to rewrite and I like it when you know I think directors maybe more often than is practice really need to read the script like value the process value the what a writer writes because some writers write deliberately so a stage direction actually is written for a reason <laughs> Um, and I, I've had seen directors sometimes say, I don't, I take at all pauses. I don't even read stage directions. I'm like, well, then you're not reading the play. Um, mm -hmm. it's like trying to, you know, reading a piece of music and taking out all, all the of it. But yeah. It doesn't make any sense because it's not playing the full piece. And, and I, when you have an environment where everyone's doing that, actors and, and the director are trying to discover why it's done, it becomes easier as a playwright to hear what you have and then adjust the script um, as best as you can. And the rehearsal process I just went through was great. I, mean, I think I was in the room. I was production managing another show next door, but I walk in, see rehearsals for a couple hours, and I do changes like on the spot, and the actors just took to them because we really 
knew each other and we really were in it together and really enjoyed um, working on that play. And it was a really nice environment to do rewrites. And some of them are significant because um, I could hear it. I'm like, this isn't working. This isn't working. It's not them. It's me. Um, so did, you know, would add and it really helped because that play had been done in London for a short festival, um, which was really great and cool, but it didn't quite get there. And a lot of it was my fault. I think I, the subtlety in the script was too subtle for an audience, I think. So I kind of was able to flesh it out. And there's probably 20 more minutes to the play that was done in LA than was done in London. Wow, that's a pretty significant chunk. Yeah, and it probably doesn't add to, it's more to, like the production was a lot slower in a good way. Like it, the kind of suspense dripped rather than flooded. Um, but there is, you know, I add, it fleshed out the characters in ways that I'm really happy with. How is it working with designers at all? Um, I love designers. I'm really good friends with a lot of designers, um, particularly in LA. And I don't think I've ever really had a bad design experience. I like to be involved, like help paint the set and talk about um, it. I, I think I've been really lucky to work with some of the best designers, I think, in both New York and LA. So, and I think I could communicate with designers quite well, um, particularly here with, I mean, designers I've worked with as a producer or a director or a writer many, many times. It becomes easy and I admire what they do because I definitely can't do that. I can't design a set. I can't do a lighting plot. Um, I can't create a soundscape. Um, but I could hear it and see it and really admire it and know when it's working. And rarely has it been derailed, I think. It's like magic to me. And I really love, you know, I think design really helps. It makes the play come alive. It dress, It's like the paint on the sketch in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and I love, I think the when, we, when Belle was done in New York at the Cherry Lane, I think the happiest day was when all those actors were in uniform, you know, wearing the priest costumes and the girl outfits and seeing them lit. I'm like, oh, wow, this is not just in a rehearsal room. This is a play and it's coming alive in a way. I never got to see my work ever before that. Oh, you said that was the first time? It was the first time with significant um, resources. That's awesome. It was such a great location too. It was very intimate and yeah. personable. Yeah, it was. Cool. I remember the designers. McDermott um, did the set for that, and he also did the set wow. when it came back to New York. The Irish Rep. Um, so he had been with it for two productions with two completely different designs, and both were great. That's um, so funny. That it's, that's now a name that I know really well, but when I did. <laughs> I was so new to New York and new out of grad school that there was all these names that I didn't know. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, and Daniel Kluger, who did the sound design for it then, went but did it at the Irish Rep as well. So we had two return designers. And again, completely different designs. And both were really great. They both worked. And I kind of loved that they didn't rest on their achievement. You know, they I liked right. that. I wouldn't say one was better than the other. They were just completely different. And both were 
really nice. And those guys are really, really, really good at what they do. So how is it for you to, do you direct other people's works or just your own work? Or do you have a preference? Would, do you like directing your own pieces? Um, I do, but you know, I like, I, Angie and I have in LA anyway, have developed kind of our shorthand and a tag team directing kind we've co-directed before mm-hmm. this one. Um, Tezrach was more her because I was busy, but we, I like directing with her with my work because then I have another eye and I like to bring in um, objective eyes of intelligent people to help bring it to another place that maybe I've lost objectivity to. Um, I like directing other people's work as well, maybe more than my own because I then try to value that writer's voice and bring something, try to honor, try to make their play come alive. And I, I like to, I don't know, I like working with writers and like working with actors to try to crack that play in a way that I think is very respectful to the playwright, which I don't know if all directors are. Like I'm very protective of a playwright's vision um, and not trampling over it. And I find that really fun to be a part of that process. Have you directing is more of a, it's all kind of a craft, but directing I think really is kind of a craft about communication and getting the actors and designers to honor what's on the page. Have you directed a piece that somebody else has written and they were in the room during the rehearsal process? Yeah, I have. How Um, does that work with you being a, playwright but then switching to be a director well i throw the playwriting hat off entirely um maybe like if i was a producer i would maybe ask questions or developing it if if i think the play is ready as a director i don't even talk about the text other than trying to make it work with actors and talking to a playwright about maybe asking questions and, but never asking for a rewrite, never saying this doesn't work. Um, Cause I don't think that's the director's job necessarily. Um, I think their job is to. I'm trying to figure out if there's an easy time doing that. Doing that. Like, like, taking off his face, hat and doing something else. Yeah. And I think like through direct, you know, we worked with Eric, um, Cindy and I, and mm-hmm. he's a, a great director and learned <laughs> And was very respectful of, of me as a writer, too. So I probably learned more observing him in that small rehearsal process than any other, um, just from a directing perspective, than any other thing I've ever done. Um, and, you know, you practice and you do it. Now I feel pretty um, confident. And I think Eric um, particularly was aware of an audience. Mm-hmm. And very respectful of actors and writers. And I think that um is important certainly with bedlam like his new company it's very audience based i think like engaging with them in creative ways and i think that makes it their theater come alive and he still honors the text i mean he when he does saint joan he doesn't cut a word of it which is insane in a way but it was the one of the best plays i've ever seen but I, you know, I don't. I haven't done a lot of classics. I like. I prefer working with new work because it's more. It scares me because you don't know if it works or not. Um, and I kind of like the danger of that and the idea of okay, we're just thinking brand new that no one's ever done before. 
um, I kind of covet that. And even though it can make you very nervous, I think I'm more, I love being in the rehearsal room as a playwright and director. It's very hard for me now to be in the audience as a playwright. When once other people are there past previews and it's no longer mine, I feel like it's insulting to the actors for me to sit there and judge their performance. Cause my role's done. And I don't feel that way as a director, weirdly. I, I could sit and watch. And I get very nervous. I feel with my, because my writing's mine and it's the most personal thing I think you can do is share your work to a public like that and watch them react to you. And it scares the shit out of me um, that they like hate me or they hate my play. Luckily, I, no one, well, I, who knows? Maybe people have, but I don't, I feel like I'm being judged because it is quite honestly me up there. Um, in all my work and it scares, it makes me so nervous. Um, so I like hang out. I love to be there and hang out in the lobby and see people after or before, but watching there for every performance we did at mentor project, but yeah. And I felt that 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 in the house or if you just stayed in the lobby. I was there. I actually was in the house for mentor project and it's my first, and it scared me. Like I was really, I wasn't watching the play. I was watching people react to the play, which is an important I mean, it's sort of what previews are for. I will yeah. sit through previews um, and mentor projects are sort of a different structure because you do get that. You had 12, um, pr- a production with 12 dates, which is significant. But I thought mm-hmm. the point of it was to watch that 12 times and adjust and make changes and see how your play, if your play works or not. And um, so I will sit in previews and I will, I do make myself do it. Like the, for Desert Rats, we had such setup where you could literally like it was very intimate, um, like a three side thrust, and and you could see everyone in the everyone in the audience could see everybody in the, in the audience, mm. and I didn't I couldn't sit through that because I just didn't want to look at people except closing night I did and it was great like I had a blast um, because. It was my last time seeing this thing. And I really, it's it's probably the most fun I've ever had watching my play, but I still can't do it every time. I just, I don't know. I don't have the nerves or the, I wouldn't say courage, but I just, I don't know. I feel like it's the actor's play once you open. But why do you think it's different as a director? I know it's less intimate because it's not your work up there. I think, yeah, I don't think I'm being judged as a person necessarily because the writing comes from such a different place Got it. from my imagination and my past and my history and my relationships are kind of, and my points of view of the world and what I think is attempting to do good is thrown up there as a director. I feel like I'm trying to bring this text with these people up and I, I it's not as personal I guess I mean it's mm-hmm. and I still and I, I I I can't really explain it because it's not my flesh and blood but it is it's I put a lot in it but as a craft and as a um it's it to me it's the playwright's story so they're the ones who are really nervous not me <laughs> Has anyone ever done your play that you were not there during the rehearsal process? Um, yeah, 
I've had um, in Scotland, there was a theater in Scotland that produced a version of Desert Rats after the London production um, for a very short, like a weekend or two. So I didn't even see the production. Um, I have no idea how it went. I don't, um, I hope they had fun. And that was kind of, I kind of like that because I'm so uninvolved and don't even see it. I'm like, well, it's not even mine at all. And eventually I hope that's what all my plays will become. Like Did well, you get, like pictures yeah. or anything of it, or it was just. I saw pictures, um, like on Facebook and things, but I'm still. And they had a cool poster, but I, I sent them an email saying how to go, and like didn't hear a response. Um, so I presume <laughs> that's very well, which I'm okay with, because I've, because <laughs> I'm, I don't really give a. Well, I, I don't know what they did, and I wasn't there to um, help. I presume that a provincial Scottish town may not have done the most authentic version of a Southern California play about criminals in Barstow because they don't know <laughs> Southern California or Barstow. And I suspect they played it like television or stereotypes. And the benefit of producing it in Southern California is you could cast people from Southern California who know exactly who these people are. And um, have been to Barstow and been through the desert and yeah. Yeah. And they kind of know these guys. They know, you know, they've had the, f yeah. And they understand the conflicts in a much, in a very realistic way, instead of playing a stereotype, which is kind of a problem with doing like say Irish theater in the U S um, like, I don't feel like bell and it's no fault of anybody involved has ever been done to authentically because it's been done in New York and Los Angeles. Well, and that's I what I was going to ask because at least when we did it, nobody in the production had like, or was, is that true? Yeah, I think we did. We had a couple in of Ireland during that time. Like they didn't live through that and didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I kind of made it a metaphor for, my own kind of growing up in a way and use my friends. So as you, I have been to Belfast and, and my best friend's family are from there and, and used that, but the language and the references, I mean, it, I think the productions were great and I, but I'd love to see it like in a small black box theater in Belfast or Derry, just to see it with the, perfect accents and the people who know the humor and could just sing it right, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and have seen what it looks like to wake up after a car bomb went off in your town, you know, which I think mm -hmm. is very different than, than an American who does something acting is acting is acting and, and you do create something that you're not, and I think everyone in every version of Bell did a really good job, but I'd love to see one that just almost like a no budget, like fuck it, two chairs and a table in Belfast, like in a bar or something. Like I'd love to see that just for myself to hear the music sung right, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, you grew up in California and so doing a show with Barstow in California why, what gave you the idea to do a show centered around a teenage girl in Ireland? Um, I think that weirdly came out. I wrote a screenplay after I had first lived in Ireland 
um, about the West Coast. And the character um, had a lot of pre-writing. And the protagonist of it was a girl whose parents, which is the story of Belle, actually. I had to, she was an orphan who was left for adoption, which is now, which is the ending of, of Belle of Belfast. And after writing that, I really enjoyed the world and went back to that backstory that isn't even in the movie. It's just in my notes from the movie and kind of developed a play about it. Um, I thought it was, it's kind of my friend's Tom sister was a teenage girl in Belfast when I would visit her family and I just found her, the way teenage girls there would speak is interesting. They were kind of bold and brave. Now there's a show on Netflix called Dairy Girls that kind of uses that, the kind of Irish Catholic girl <laughs> boldness that they have. And it interests me as a character. And I just wanted, uh, I don't know if I could explain it. That one kind of wrote it. I had those two characters, a conflict and knew that I had to show tremendous loss that the community has to cope with and deal with um, what I felt was maybe the abuse of religion and hypocrisy in religion and war in a re which I think is global and use the place I knew to tell like hopefully a bigger story that um, would touch an American audience, well, not an, or a global audience, someone who wasn't from there, which I hope it did. Cause I don't know if, I don't even know if it works there, you know, I know it works in New York and LA, but I'd like it to go to Ireland um, one day. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> no, I was just like, now I'm really mad that I missed Desert Rat, even though Twin kept telling me to go see it. I was busy. Oh my God, how many times did I kept sending you stuff? And I'm like, it's playing, it's playing. And then when you guys, because it extended, right? And so I sent it to her. Yeah. Again, like, go see it. It's extended more weekend. Nope. What's sad is like, yeah. you know, it's LA theater. Everyone's working all the time and you have to drive and you have to park. But I think downtown's a really <laughs> right? fun place to be, actually. You know, I wish it's weird. Like, I love LA audiences. They tend to be younger and way more diverse, certainly the LATC. Um, it's like an audience you would kill to get in New York, but it's tiny. You know, I mean, you do well, but, you know, you get to real, but highly discounted tickets because you could see a play for 10 bucks in LA. In New York, you can't see a play for under $80 off Broadway. Um, yeah, but except you got to drive and park and parking costs $15 and it's two hours for me to, you know, get there during traffic or. Yeah. or That's why our extension was only on Saturdays and Sundays. Cause I just, I wasn't going to ask people to come any other day. And I feel like Saturday, particularly you can make a day, you know, like, Oh, we'll go get dinner. We'll get a drink after. And it's like a night out. And I think that's the best way to create theater in LA is. Yeah, or I go after to work. Brown. Yeah. It's like, and since I live work. in Long Beach and I work in LA, the last couple shows, well, not last weekend we How's saw that? shows, but yeah, I got to drive yeah. up. If I'm already up here, it's like a five-minute drive over to the Amundsen from East West Players. So after work, right. I go see a show, but then nobody wants to come up and meet me up here. Right. And I don't go, you know, I want to go to Long Beach to see more shows. And it's not even that I feel like in my head it's harder than it is for me a lot. Um, yeah. I do. I have been to ACT or ICT. Um, I've not seen any of their shows. 
Yeah. Like I was just it's... at the uh, Long Beach Performing Arts Center seeing a Long Beach Opera show, but I've never seen uh, inter- uh, ICT, right? International yeah. City Theater. Never seen one of their shows. I saw a really good production there once. I don't even remember what it was. It was good though. And I was surprised because I didn't even know what the place was. But Long Beach has a lot of good stuff going on right now. It's a cool city. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely very artsy. Lots of symphonies and murals on the buildings and art walks. And yeah, something always happening. That's just it. There's so much always happening. It's hard to go see everything. Yeah, it is. It's huge. So I feel like I don't know what to do. We never get West Siders, which I don't really care about because I never go to the West Side. So why would I expect them to come to my show? Um, so cultivate audiences where you are and downtown. So transplanty and, and kind of transient that it's hard to build an audience base for people who are only there for like a year or two. Um, yeah. Cause no one moved downtown until now, you know, from 1970 to now it was just a place people worked. Yeah. They're slowly and, building it back up, but still. I love it kind of has a grittiness that New York had when I first went like in the early nineties and feels, I don't know. I love it. It feels like hell's kitchen when I was afraid to go to hell's kitchen. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's the part I, I go to little Tokyo and then I go back to long beach and we went to the yeah. Ace hotel last week. And then I was like, this feels like a big city. Sometimes I forget that yeah. LA is a big city with brick buildings and history. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I I'm surrounded by it every day. It's great. I um really like it. You know, I just I take the subway. I try to make LA feel like New York. I haven't filled up my gas tank for a year and a half. Man, I have never taken the public transportation here. First of all, it yeah. would take me two hours to get from Little Tokyo back down to Long Beach. Yeah. Whereas in the yeah. car, it takes me one hour. Yeah, my commute's really. I think it's. I give myself an hour every day and it's not, and that's walking and, you know, it's an excuse to walk as well. You know, and I, I love it. Like if I drive, I feel weird, which is no, like the complete opposite of everybody else in LA. Like I hate driving here. Um, <laughs> uh, but you also lived in New York for a while. So maybe that's your New York part of you being like, nah. yeah, I kind of want to make LA the New York that I miss, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it yeah funny i just like the subway so much that now that i have a car in new york i've started to drive more places yeah but how is driving in new york driving in new york seems treacherous i was i've only done it like twice and it scared the shit out of me because i wasn't used to it it did for like years and years it scared the shit out of me but the last couple of gigs i've had I live in like the southern part of Brooklyn and I had a gig up at Columbia University and it would take two hours on the subway and three different subways in order to get there. Yeah. If I drove, it was like 40 minutes. Yeah. Aren't the subways just like crumbling as well? Yeah. They're just oh crumbling. man. The it's amount of text wide. messages I get from her <laughs> complaining about them. Yeah. Which is also why I just like don't want to take it. But I have a friend who lives in Midtown and he loves the subway. And I'm like, well, of course, because that's it's where okay. it only goes downtown. Right. <laughs> exactly. And that's where all the money is. I was like, you can like in two minutes walk to like every subway line. Yeah. That's where all the tourists are. Yeah. They're like the best subways. Whereas in Brooklyn, they're like, you know, the bus or the subway doesn't run for half an hour. You can't do anything yeah. about it. But so yeah, it's just different. 
How is it in LA? I think you have to make your life um, convenient to it, which I kind of intentionally did. So it's great. I mean, I don't, it, I walk about a mile to the subway, to the red line. You have to wait 10 minutes usually, which is fun. I could read a book, then I'm on it for about 10 minutes, drops me off downtown, walk another 10 minutes to work and just repeat that going home. Um, and it's such part of my routine. I, I enjoy it. They can feel a bit, um, it could raise your blood pressure. There's a lot of kind of madness on it. Um, but I kind of like that. I don't feel threatened, even though I, I could see why people would. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I've, I love them. I just like the idea of public transportation as well. I think LA's get such, people don't think it even exists. And it does. I know plenty of people who do it, but it's if they live in downtown and they work yeah. in downtown. It just doesn't go out of downtown. Like if you want to get to the West side or Long Beach, it's like way too long and annoying. Like most of the people I grew up with in LA, you know, we grew up in a more working class community. They all subway and take public transport because we did as kids. And I'll go to a Hollywood meeting in, I don't know, like Midtown or, or not in Mid Wilshire or something. And they, say no one there's no public transportation in LA and I was like point and say do you see that fucking bus that's a bus and it transports people that's public transportation (laughs) like there's another bus if you pay a dollar 85 you can get on it and it'll take you somewhere um and just people have contempt towards it here I think it does exist weird like cliches that people bring with them from the midwest wherever they're from just kind of sour the reality I mean the 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 best people in LA are like people who grew up here. <laughs> I agree. Um, yeah. New York, you don't, and maybe because I grew up in California, but you do kind of tend to like look down on people who take public transportation in California. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they don't own a car or they can't afford a car. Whereas I would never think that in New York. And I think that's a snobbiness that people bring here too. Cause I'm sure yeah. a lot of people can't afford a car. And, but you know, what's wrong with that? You know, it's a fucking expensive city. Yeah, that is very you know, true. I, I have friends living in their car, you know, and that's because they cannot get a. F- I couldn't move here as a 22 year old playwright today. But that's why and, we live in Long Beach, because yeah. it's too. Even Long Beach is super expensive, but we don't have to pay for parking every day. Yeah. But I have to pay for gas to drive 25 miles for an hour one way. Yeah, it's fucked up. <laughs> we need to. We'll see. I worry. I actually have a genuine fear of like homelessness. People say, oh, won't that happen? It's like, look at all the homeless people. It could be me. I'm a fucking playwright with like no savings. Yep. <laughs> <It happened> like, <laughs> no one's giving me money. Well, um, at least you're not part of the government. <laughs> you know, right? That's that's the one benefit. I should actually, you know, that should be one thing. At least I, I work for myself and not for Donald Trump. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> could be much worse. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's a whole nother issue. <laughs> the politics of modern America. Ugh. Yeah. Terrible. Do you have any other shows you're working on right now? Or do you have like 20 shows that are all in the process? Well, as a production manager, I have four shows coming up at the LATC. Um, that's going to take a lot of my time. I have a play called... Another Fine Mess, which I think I'm going to retitle A Fine Mess, 
because it's shorter, less syllable. <laughs> but um, I want to rewrite. It's kind of old. It's sort of related to um, Deseret's another show I had called Bright Light City, that was sort of I, the idea. It's not really a trilogy, but it's three plays in the same world. They don't really connect because I think that's kind of precious and kind of unreal. I don't think the world works that way. Um, but another kind of crime Southern California story, like Desert Rides kind of dealt with class, Bright Light City dealt with um, celebrity and another fine mess deals with race, which scares, you know, it's such a hot, it's always a hot button topic. Mm-hmm. I think I found a cool way or a way that works for what makes me angry in this city and larger country about the history of whatever you want to call it, like white privilege or whatever race, it, but it does it in a funny way. So I want to get back to that. It's not, it's not quite there. It needs a rewrite and a rewrite of probably, you know, a week of my full-time work which i don't really have and i have some screen projects i'm working on too like i always try to um work on stuff but it's so busy and i'm pretty tired i just i also want to break but i wish i could write plays full-time i'd love that if somehow i could just spend every day just writing for theater and no one knew it got produced i'd be in heaven um, <laughs> i it's not been my my life so far anyway <laughs> Yeah, you still have time. Yeah, I still have some time. Maybe I, you know, I need to write a Hamilton. And I can do whatever I want. Yeah, but that also was how many plays did he do before he got to that one? Yeah, that's true. A few. And it's different. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't think I'd be a very good musical writer. it just make everybody depressed. <laughs> Bella Belfast was good, but it was very heavy. Yeah. I think the yeah. version was a little bit more heavy than when I did it. It was. Yeah, the the new the fir, the Chevrolet one was a little bit light. And then I guess I, I felt that after I felt I didn't deal with the consequences of the play. So I added another scene um, that I actually think works, but it's a lot heavier, but it does deal with the consequences of the world and the action of the play in a much more realistic way, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it isn't a very happy ending where the cherry lane one was quite happy. Wasn't it? It's like the happiest ending that could have been in that story. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess I said, that's bullshit. I need to make everybody a little more depressed. <laughs> I do want them leaving the theater happy. This is not going to work. Yeah, once that's what I have dogs for. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. If if somebody wants to do your play or a company wants to do your play, how do they? How do they get a hold of you? Do they write you? Do you have a manager, an agent? How do people do your work? Yeah. Well, I've had all of that, and you know, I've got a lot more work. I don't. I've never gotten a real. I got some screen work through a manager. Um, I don't think people know what to do with me. And I don't know. I don't know. I've done. Bell was done. There's a nominating committee for mentor projects. 
and mine was nominated and it got chosen um, to be a part of it. And then came to Los Angeles and the a director kind of introduced it to all the companies in LA and it was chosen at ESTLA for its, what it, what was its world premiere officially, even though it felt like it was kind of a second production, but it was the world premiere production outside of a workshop production. And then that director brought it to New York and it was weird because it got really good, well reviews. I'm like, Oh, someone's going to, maybe my life will change and I'll have an agent to represent me and this play and nothing happened, which was really kind of demoralizing. Like I worked for eight years on this play and everything kind of, kind of works now. And like, it was sort of crickets and that I'm like, well, fuck it. I got to do it for myself and building the relationships. I mean, Desert Rock's about three years to get on here, which is a really long time, but I've just feel it's the nature of the beast. And it allowed me to write a better play with that time and think about it and, you know, write more work. I don't know how plays get produced because I've not been very good at that but I've I think I've also the other side of it is I'm very involved in the plays become much more personal to me and much more what I artistically intend um and now I kind of have home you know the home of the LATC where they'd definitely be the first place I'd bring work and there's other cool companies in LA as well that I'd um introduce to and I kind of like working in LA I'd like to bring these desert rats to New York and I don't really know how, um, but, you know, I'll try. Good. Then maybe we could work together again. Yeah, it'd be awesome. I'd love to. I just, and it's small too. I think, you know, Access Theater or the, even like the Cheerlane Studio would be like a great, I don't want a big place. I kind of want to recreate what we had here and that would be really cool. But you never know. New York's so expensive to mount anything. that. Yeah. Well, yeah, but LA is expensive, so. It is, yeah. So then how how would people, say somebody listening to this is like, oh, that sounds great. They keep talking about Bell of Belfast. <laughs> how, do, how do they find it? Do they just type in Bell of Belfast? Do they type in your name? I i don't, the Dramatist Guild has <laughs> a resource. Like I've gotten emails. I, it was, I've had emails from people who wanted to read it, who would email like the, um, theater like the Irish Repertory or the Cherry Lane or the LATC or EST, wherever I've worked, and they kind of do it there. I'm kind of hard to find, um, but not not, not helpful, Nate. Nobody's yeah. going to do your work if you they can't find, find you. <laughs> uh, you can email me for inquiries at naterufus at gmail dot com, and I will That's happily. Good. Good. Yeah, I've never really been into websites. I always felt that was kind of pre I get it that it is salesmanship. It is putting yourself out there, but I kind of for myself it feels narcissistic and preening and I, it just isn't anything that I've thought would be useful to me. Cuz I don't believe that any that I'm special enough that anyone's going to go there and find me and send me an email, which is probably bullshit and just me being neurotic, but I don't know. I don't really want a website. <laughs> but then how do people get to your like stuff? <laughs> you have to advertise yourself. And I your know, show. I, do. I feel like the reviews kind of do. And if people are interested, they could find me 
if they really wanted to. Stacey <laughs> emailed me yesterday and she was like, I can't find very much on Nate. And then I was like, nope, you're probably not going to. Yeah. She's like, you can look at Angie. Angie posts sometimes. She posts oh, yeah. Not very good on Facebook either. Um, again, like I feel like I use it as I do keep in touch with people. I use it for it's like a directory when I want to like Cindy, you know, I will occasionally send a message. So yeah. it's like a way to say hi to people. And I keep in touch with friends from Ireland there. And I, you know, I feel like it's a tool for self-promotion, which every post embarrasses me. Like I get <laughs> nauseous comes to my play because it feels stupid. It's like, you know, my plays on. Um, and yeah, it just but I feels only kind know your I know your plays on because Cindy sent it to me like five times on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> I did do uh, some Desert Rats promotion, but I do feel like embarrassed doing it. Um, cause, cause I don't use it to be like, Hey, here's, you know, a picture of my dog or look at this food I ate or saying a joke or some political article. Like it, that doesn't really interest me. And I don't really care about other people's, Dog picture. I don't know. <laughs> it's so impersonal and so weird and so cultivated that I don't really want to hear your cultivated life or your like opinions on things. You know, call me and we'll have a conversation about art or Trump or the ills your of America. Dog. You know, it is a vacuum teacher. And after the election, I got really kind of disappointed with <laughs> social media kind of helping elect someone as bad as that true social media was a bitch to watch for a couple of months there still kind of can be a bitch to watch yeah 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 i'm gonna have to call you up when i'm out there in march because we need to sit down and have coffee again yeah and then post a picture on it on facebook and say but you can't find them (laughs) i I, I don't hate it i'm more indifferent to it than actively like hate it Although I do kind of, I don't love it. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> well, you don't necessarily hate it. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm on it. I'm on Facebook. I yeah. I did find you. It. Yeah, and I wouldn't even know if I had a Twitter account. I wouldn't know what to say. I just feel like, what the fuck? Am, what am I supposed to do with this? Says like, a playwright who makes his yeah. living writing. Yeah, but then I have to say, did you see Black Panther? That was really cool. You know. Uh, my voice doesn't matter in that argument or that world. I don't know. <laughs> it feels like an odd device to like have a conversation to this. Open like, world. world. Yeah. It doesn't feel real to me at all. And who the, f- and it feels kind of creepy that a stranger could read it to me. And I don't really want True. a stranger to read my thoughts or my jokes, you know, pay for a ticket and see my play. <laughs> that's so interesting because when you write you are writing for strangers yeah but that's sort of you know that's storytelling and kind of an old tradition and it's being alone in a room with people I mean not a lot that's uh, obviously doesn't strike that but you're with <laughs> alone, uh, alone. alone yeah, like that. no you're <laughs> you know you go to me it's sort of like human connection which you don't get in on any other art form like you're forced to be around other people and watch people perform something for you um and i find it tremendously scary and moving and human in a way that nothing else other medium is including film which 
hardly anybody watch goes to the movie theaters anymore to watch, you know, a good movie. People watch them on Netflix. They watch them on your phone. You know, I see people now at dinner watching movies on their phone in public, and I find that really depressing. Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of actually met at dinner doing doing just that, and I was like, you guys are at dinner with each other, and you're both staring at something on your phone. Yeah, so weird. Man, yeah, we don't is. even watch trailers on our phone. We turn on the computer and watch a trailer on our com- or um, the big Kai's computer is hooked up to the forty-seven inch TV, so it's not exactly small. But yeah. yeah, movies aren't made to be watched on your phone. They're they're not made for it. And I try to go to the theater, but even then, I I'm bad. I'm like, why should I make a movie? Expect people to go to a theater and pay for it when I don't do it myself? So I do make an effort to see as much theater as possible to like be the kind of active cultural participant I want people to be with my work, I guess. And it's an impossible task, but it's sort of what, I don't know. I want to set an example for myself and hope that other people do the same thing. But I know they don't because everyone's on Twitter and watching their phone in a restaurant. You know? <laughs> well, there but I think that's why you should make theater, right? I think that's why we all do it. It's a weirdly purse. It's a communal experience that are getting increasingly rare. And it's like one medium which you can't, you need live people for, you know, you can't do without people. Yeah. Um, as much as we try to do it without actors sometimes. Yeah. I kind of show called a complete waste of time like if i was a big name if like say i won like a fucking pulitzer or or even whatever if my name could bring in an audience i wanted to do a thing where you could only do it for one night where people just go in and you just keep the house lights on and there's a set and you just see what happens and you don't have a show and you just wait for people to get angry and leave <laughs> Well, you can still have a show, like flashlights, have a band play in the pit so you can't see them. Yeah, that would be kind of fun, like do the musical without actors. But I think just like what would people do if you just con them Um, completely? I'd be really pissed. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'd find it funny. I find it funny in a weird way. I guess it depends on how much money I paid for it. Like, if I went to the Amundsen and I just dropped a bunch of money to see a show and that happened, I'd be pissed. If I spent 10 bucks and I was at, you know, some local place, then I would probably think it's entertaining. Yeah. And we've all been to those shows where you're like the only pe- person in the audience. It's like a reversal of that. It's like a fuck you to the audience who doesn't go to theater. Although I've been <laughs> lucky. I, I've always had houses, thankfully. I it, And I've seen, I've been in the audience of great small plays where I'm literally one of like three people there. And the cast is five and you know, they know that there's only three people there, mm-hmm. but they do it. And they're bra- you know, those actors they're it's kind of a heroic thing to do. And the place every, I've been to two plays specifically that I remember like that. And the shows were excellent, you know, and they get like a standing ovation just because what they did was, you know, they c- could have given my money back and said no, but they did it. And they were like really fucking good. And I was shocked that I was like the only person in the audience. You know, I don't think I've ever experienced that. I've had that twice. And it was awkward until the lights go down and, and it starts. And then you kind of get absorbed in the story. And you feel like it's done for you. It's, it was a weird experience. And it ceased to be depressing because they were good. If it was really shitty, I would have been really embarrassed. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. But they weren't. Thankfully. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, is it, sorry to cut it off, but we are at an hour and oh. I need to go back to tech. So okay. <laughs> otherwise I'm sure Cindy could talk to you all night long, which you guys can stay on and talk. That's great. Uh, so I know she warned you. Uh, do you have any fun and exciting twin stories before we, we let oh. you go to play with your puppies? Because I am a twin. You guys knew I was a twin, right? Yeah, I know you're a twin. Yeah, I have a twin, twin brother. Twin, you didn't tell me he was a twin. I might have forgotten this. Yeah, I don't. Well, I'm sure I told you. I'm sure you have told me. Uh, <laughs> like that's something that totally would have come up in conversation. My brother and I are like the complete opposites of you two, though. Like we fight, and I think that's what a lot of brother stories. Um, are you guys identical or fraternal? We're fraternal. Um. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Who's I wish older? I could do like a twin story. That's funny, but they're all just kind of tragic and sad. Um, no, they're not. He's fine. He's dad now. He lives like a completely different life. Like he's on paper responsible citizen. Um, does he live in California? He does. He lives in Glendale. So oh, that's not far away. Yeah, yeah, he's close. He lives on the other side of Griffith Park from where I live. Um, so forever. Because that takes forever to get around. <laughs> Not too bad. I drive through the park and it's a super nice drive. Um, I don't know. I I wish – I know you prepared me for it and then we talked and now like I feel completely like blocked. Okay. Well, great. <laughs> I'll just ask you a bunch of questions since, you know, rarely we, do we get to talk to other twins. So what does he do? My brother, he's – well, for years, he, he worked at the observatory as like a ticket taker or something. And now he's a fingerprinter for the LAPD. So he has to crime scenes to dust for fingerprints. That's wow. super cool. Yeah. But, and he does work for LAPD. It's kind of, I think it sounds way cooler than it is. I think a lot of it's just stuck in traffic and being really bored. Um, <laughs> but it seems to like you know, he has a badge and shit and he acts... And he kind of has developed like that kind of asshole TV cop thing. Because um, uh, I don't think he's actually around cops. But he's like, no, I have a badge. I get to, you know, act like I'm an authority, which is kind of obnoxious. It's like the, <laughs> the people hate cops. Um, <laughs> of the underlying historic racism and other things. But I'm just glad, you know, he's from L.A. He's, you know, I just think it would be funny to do a ride along and do a documentary about my brother. To me, he's like a clown. Like, and just him fucking up crime scenes. And, <laughs> your next play, starring your no, brother. He maybe would love it. Yeah, I mean, he'd have to be good or they'd fire him. But I just can't <laughs> view it. I just view him as like a clumsy fool who's now in charge of solving crimes. It would be kind of funny. <laughs> Does he come see your shows? He didn't see Desert Rats. And that's why I have no guilt calling him a clumsy fool cleaning up crime scenes. Because if he listens to this, he could hear my spite for him. Not <laughs> Wait for seven fucking weeks. You don't have an excuse, even though you're a father. Get a babysitter. They exist. Oh, see? <laughs> I had a slight yeah. excuse. You're not my twin. <laughs> Although I don't see all the twins. I don't see all the twin shows either. But, I mean, she rarely does them in the same state as I'm in, so. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he, I, I just he's like he doesn't want to bother. He doesn't give a shit, which is fine, you know. Um, you don't go to his place. crime scenes. He doesn't come see your shows. 
it's like how do i how do i get revenge i don't like it would be cruel to not go to like his kid's birthday because that's like bigger than him yeah that's um, his kid you know, i don't want to like start a feud but um i don't know maybe i could do like a fake crime scene or something and try to get <laughs> like i don't know I'll try I don't to come know. up with something. <laughs> Gotta do it use his occupation to embarrass him. Um, maybe I, sh- I don't know. I'll think of something clever, like try to do like a burglary in my own house and request my brother, and then just say, "I wasted your time. There's no crime here." <laughs> I hear the LAPD loves that. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys ever like switch places in school or anything, or you guys just weren't close enough to even consider any of that? Yeah, we so different looking. He's like six four. I'm like five eleven. We look very different. Like I look more. We don't. We aren't even. I mean, we're passable as brothers, but you wouldn't like. You know, it's like any other kind of fraternal brothers. We never did the switcheroo. I wish we could because it would have been fun. Did you guys do that? Yep, that's mostly twins' but, idea. Just one. Yeah. I wish we could because we like we live different lives. Like I went to, we went to different elementary schools and what? I was, how does that I was even in, work? I was in the magnet and my brother was not. So he went to, we went to different elementary schools. We had like totally different groups of friends and then they all put us in high school together. And then we kind of hung out. People knew us together more. Um, but by then we definitely couldn't do the switcheroo. We should have done it. That would have been funny to try to pretend like we were the other when we looked nothing like each other. I'm like, no, no, this is my brother's name's Alex. Yeah, now I should do a ride along or whatever, like go to a fucking crime scene with his badge. And like, you're not Alex. Say, I am him. I kind of like I have very similar blood. (laughs) That would be kind of funny. That would, but it would work. Because you would probably I, know like his mannerisms and how he speaks, and so yeah, he has kind of a funny vote. He has this. We sound very different. He's kind of mumbles. He's like, oh, like he can't understand him. His <laughs> wife, does. um, but he mumbles a lot and speaks kind of. He's quite neurotic and and interesting. Um, <laughs> I've never heard anyone describe a twin as as much as like. Yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> twin, how could you forget he was a twin? Well, probably because they don't do anything together, but still. Yeah. yeah. But to my brother's credit, he has a career and like a stable income, which is pretty nice. Yeah. But <laughs> how, house, you know, house and kids, you kind of need stable income, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ideally. That's true. I don't have any of that. I'm still writing plays. Mm-hmm. I have a dog. Those are my babies, my plays, and my dogs. Exactly. And my chinchilla, but he's just not as demanding as the dog. (laughs) It would be if you let him out of the cage. Yeah, he'd terrorize (laughs) the dog. (laughs) You should go to tech. Uh, In March, like mid-March, so I'll let you know when I'm in town. You're in town for one week, and it's our brother's wedding. It's at the end of the week, dude. Okay, fine. Yeah, but we have a photo shoot to do, and we got cousins to hang out with, and I know, but I haven't seen Nate in probably like since yeah, since we went and saw Bella Bell. No, he wasn't even at Bella Belfast, was he? I was there. Yeah, he was there. Okay, we talked about how the play was different. Uh, Ah, a long time ago. I don't remember. I block a lot of things out of my mind. I remember seeing the show. 
I mean, I don't remember. It. That was 2012. So that was like, that was a while ago. Seven, yeah, seven years ago. It was 2012. <laughs> and we're yeah, back to where we started the podcast. How long ago was <laughs> it when we saw Nate? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so happy that we were able to get you on. And Thank you, guys. This was fun. Yeah. yeah. I'm happy to do it again. So we'll release it on February 1st. And uh, the next time you do a show, I'm going to make Stacey go out there no matter what. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll give but, it uh... it's... <laughs> See, he's, so... he's so Although... close. Yeah. Yeah, and I should be long. It's really not far. I'll try. Are you going to, are you working on, are you stage managing um, the East West Player Show? No, I'm the technical and facilities director and the TD of the show. Oh, cool. Will you be at the shows? Uh, not normally. <laughs> I'll be around for opening night and for a couple of the previews. Mm-hmm. I'll probably see it after. I'm an ovation voter, so I get free tickets. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, I'll be at the ovations on Monday. Oh, me too. Yeah, see, I could run into you there. Yeah. With, I don't know yeah, how many I, other people. Because I find them tedious, but um, I'm going to show up and say hi. And <laughs> That's why I don't sit through shows. I'm like, oh, I've already seen it like three times. I don't need to watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. Tell Stacey when you're going to be there. Stacey can just like happen to be at the theater. <laughs> Yeah, cool. that's true. Well, yeah, on Monday, like I'll be there. You know, I work down the street. I have to remember to like bring a suit or whatever that day, some appropriate clothes. Yeah, I'm hoping the dresses um, I ordered come in between now and Monday, preferably yeah. before Monday. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I gotta go. But it was excellent talking to you, and maybe I'll run into you uh, at Ovations. Yeah, definitely. See you then. Hi, Nate. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstocktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at Twinstock Theater. Tato Music, Dance Macop, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.